You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. A mentor of mine, and so I hope you will give him a warm welcome as he joins us today. That's a good-looking shirt that guy had on, huh? I love Pastor James. I'm grateful for the honor and the opportunity to be home in Niceville. Uh, Some of you know this is where Becky and I grew up. I'm glad Becky can be with me today, and uh, I'm grateful and honored to stand in this pulpit. I count James and Chrissy, very dear friends, and... uh, Grateful for their love and leadership to you at Church on Bayshore. God is doing a good work here. And six of us agree. (laughs) God is doing a good work at Church on Bayshore. Amen? Amen. I'm grateful for Pastor Justin and that Uganda team. When he said, you know, we're just in from Uganda, I thought, and I'm exhausted thinking about that, right? And yet, we, they led us so beautifully to praise King Jesus, and I'm thankful for everyone on that worship team as they lead us uh, in worship here. Also, let me just say a word of thanks on behalf of the Florida Baptist Convention. Uh, Dr. Tommy Green, our executive director, and I are indebted to you. We are grateful for your participation in the cooperative program. Some of you may occasionally look at your budget sheet and say, what in the world is the cooperative program? Well, I met a young missionary and his wife in the first service today, and you're sending them, you may or may not have known this, to another country uh, toward the end of this year. And the first of next year, they'll leave from Richmond and go to the country where they'll serve the Lord and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because you give to the cooperative program, you can support folks like that. And because you give to Church on Bayshore, you support ministries like that. Everything that I do in behalf of the Florida Baptist Convention is funded through your giving to the cooperative program. So I personally want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness. You are one of our leading churches in giving and generosity. So to God be the glory and uh, may his kingdom advance. Uh, if you brought a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 3, and let's dive right into what we, uh, my assignment for the day is. I'm excited about this privilege. <clears throat> it's my understanding that my message is part 3 of 5 uh, related to the discipleship, discipleship essentials of Church on Bayshore. Uh, you may remember that Pastor James introduced this series with the reminder that this church exists and you heard the lady do it now, I don't know if you ever do you you hear this so much you just don't even pay attention to it. this lady doing the announcements today said we exist to lead people to believe in Jesus to belong to his family and to become who he created them to be is that something you can get behind all right again same six folks thank you for your faithfulness on that Hope the rest of y'all will join them. (laughs) Uh, This church exists to lead people to believe in Jesus, to belong to his family, and to become who he's created them to be. And then James went on to identify the five essentials for living as followers of Jesus. He said they were worship, growth, serving, giving, and reaching. And and, in his first message, he reminded us that submission to God is essential if we're going to worship God in spirit, and in truth. And then last Sunday, Pastor Alec challenged us in our personal growth, our need for a daily relationship in the Word with Jesus and with His church. 
And so my focus for today is serve, that third discipleship essential. So let's look again at our series text in light of this focus on serving Jesus. So Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. Right? By now, I believe we've communicated that God is not limited to our thoughts or imaginings. And he's not limited by us. He is able to do immeasurably more, this passage says, than we can even ask or imagine. So I'd like to direct our attention to another phrase in this same passage, and it's found there in verse 20. The phrase, according to the power at work within us. According to the power. So he's able to do more than we could ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. What is that power? What is that power? I'm going to suggest to you, I believe that power is the gospel. The gospel is at work in us who call ourselves followers of him. Paul describes the gospel to the Roman church this way in Romans 1 and verse 16, that that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And I love the the unlimited approach of this. To everyone who believes, right? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, And certainly it is the power for redemption and for salvation. But the gospel doesn't just stop there. That's where Baptists stop, you know. We get them saved. We get them to pray a prayer. We get them to go through some water and get baptized and say, good deal, all right, who's next? And instead, that's just the starting point, isn't it? The gospel's not through with us just because we believed. It's not just a fire insurance policy to keep you out of hell. No, instead, it is a life-transforming power at work within us. It is the power that commands and calls us to serve him who has saved us. Peter, in his first epistle, 1 Peter 4, says in verses 10 and 11, As each has received a gift, use it. For your own glory. No, what does it say? Look at it. As each has received a gift, use it to do what? Serve one another. You've been given talents. You've been given gifts. You've been given abilities. And you're to use them to serve one another. Why? As good stewards of God's very grace. The very grace that saved us empowers us to serve each other. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves. How? By the strength that God supplies. That's what Peter said. The power at work within us. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we can live with confidence that we have gospel empowerment from God to serve him. That being the case, uh, just a quick reminder, our serving is not based on just our skills, just our talents. No, God gives us those skills and talents for his purposes. The gospel at work in us 
helps us discover the opportunities he has. Maybe opportunities we never asked for or opportunities we never imagined to serve him. I believe if we're going to serve the Lord, there's at least three questions we must ask and answer in each of our lives. Here they are. They're on your note page if you're using that. Why would we serve? How should we serve? And where will we serve? So let's dive right into those three questions. First one, why would we serve? Three reasons I can think of, and I'll just run them by you very quickly for your consideration. Why would we serve the one who saved us? Why should we? Why would we? Well, here's a first suggestion, gratitude. Gratitude. I'll take you to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, and toward the end of that chapter, there in verse 29, look what it says. And immediately he, Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Look what it says. And the fever left her, and she began to go to Walmart. No, what does it say? She began to serve them. Gratitude. The Lord had healed her. This woman was sick. She was running a very high fever. And Jesus demonstrates privately... (laughs) And personally, his compassion and power to heal her by taking her by the hand and lifting her up. And immediately, she was healed. It's one of the shortest miracles in all of Scripture, the shortest recountings of, of, and very private in the home of Peter and Andrew. (laughs) And that's an awesome story of God's healing power, right? But I want you to take one step further and look at her response. Notice her response. To him healing her. The the healing touch of Jesus led her then to immediately get up and serve them. She demonstrates her gratitude through serving. We who have been forgiven our sins and been freed from the slavery of power of whatever sin held on to us, do, do we serve Jesus from a heart? Of gratitude? I mean, are you still grateful? (laughs) Is his grace still amazing to you? It's so good to be in a place where I can use the term Val P and people know where I'm talking about. (laughs) In other parts of our panhandle, they're like, Val, what? I don't know where you're talking about. I grew up in Val P, right? And and, and my mind is just like, because some of you work jobs that are amazing. I mean, I've been to the Special Forces base between here and Crestview, and I was totally blown away by the stuff those guys do. Amazed, grateful, there's too short of a word to express the feelings that I had. Those guys give their very life. Talk about sacrifice. We're going to talk about it. They give, they understand the sacrifice of serving this country. Some of you deal with million, billion dollar companies and decisions and all these kinds of things. And yet the very God who's greater than all of that, (laughs) he reached all the way down into little old Valparaiso, Florida and said, yep, I want that one. He needs help. And all the church said, amen, right? I mean, God saved me (laughs) out of the pit we sang about just a little bit ago, right? His saving grace. Surely that motivates us with gratitude to serve him. We can never forget who we were 
with grateful hearts serve our Redeemer. So gratitude, one reason why we, why we would serve. A second one is obedience. Now, this isn't so odd of a concept, right? Some of you have children. You understand the concept of obedience, right? You, you say to them, hey, I want you to do X, whatever it is. And the expectation is not that they'll form a committee and study what that would look like and decide which angle they should come at it from, right? No. You say, go take the trash out. And that doesn't mean draw me a picture of the trash can, illustrate what the trash looks like, discuss how many people it would take to actually accomplish that. No, form a committee. No, go take the trash out, right? Do it. Two words, do it, right? Obedience. When Jesus called his disciples to leave their nets and professional fishing careers and become fishers of men, he was inviting them to join him in his redemptive mission. Was Jesus really on a redemptive mission, Lewis? Where'd you get that? Luke 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man came to, what was it again? Seek and save those who were, like me, lost. Right? Jesus was real clear in his mission while here on earth. And he invited these disciples to join him in that redemptive mission. And then he went on to challenge them further in Luke 9 and verse 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I'm still working on Luke 9, 23. I'm mostly struggling with the first one, denying myself, because I like me. (laughs) I know it doesn't look like it, but I I feed me. Oh, yeah. I take me on vacation. I like me. And that denying myself gets in the way too often of that obedience he's expecting of me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Surrender willingly, openly, and follow him. And then again in Matthew 28 and verse 19, he said, go therefore and make disciples. Of who? Of everybody. All nations. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth and across the street. Oh, now wait a minute. You don't know my neighbor. He's meaner than a snake. Yeah, Jesus wants you to show him what the love of Christ looks like. See, we're to be obedient. Obedience through serving is the expected life action of we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. So, gratitude, obedience, and oh, it just gets better. Third one, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Wow. And unfortunately, too often this may be the most frequent reason for people's unwillingness to serve the Lord that I run into. Jesus gave us the ultimate example of sacrificial service to the Heavenly Father, and we see him teaching his disciples. Don't you love the story in Matthew 20? I think I've shared this with you all before, but Mrs. Zebedee comes to Jesus. (laughs) And Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, could my boys sit one on your right and one on your left? Can't you just see Miss Zebedee, a little southern lady with apron? Anyway, that's the way I read the Bible. (laughs) He said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? She said, well, and Peter's right there. Oh, drink the cup. Bring the cup. You know. Then he talks about how the Gentiles lord over them, exercise authority over them. And then what does he say? It's not so among you. Here's what he says in Matthew 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man, even as I, the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus gave his life so that you and I could live daily in a relationship with God. Woo! 
That's better than a touchdown. Woo! Yeah. Sorry, I just figured y'all not going to clap. I'm going to get into it, okay? <laughs> and too often I hear people in the church say, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. I know. It's evident. I'm not either. Okay? I'm not either. The call to follow Jesus is a call to sacrifice. It cost Jesus everything so that we could be forgiven and walk in relationship with him and serve him for that power at work within us. Isaiah understood this truth. He described Jesus' sacrifice this way in Isaiah 53. And I'm just going to highlight one verse, but there's so much more. You ought to go back sometime and just read the entirety of Isaiah 53, 54, 55. But anyway, he says... He was wounded, wounded for our transgressions. I might take a wound for you. I might get a bruise. He was crushed for our iniquities. Wait a minute. What? Upon him, the chastisement. He was chastised so we could know peace. And with his stripes... We are healed. That sacrifice, that is love so amazing, so divine. It demands my life, my soul, my all, right? <laughs> this call to sacrifice the prophet himself embraced earlier in chapter 6 of the same book. He, the Lord said, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah, caught up in the worship moment. The emotionalism of the moment. <laughs> he said, Lord, here am I. Send me. Well, you know who Isaiah was volunteering to go to? It was worse than Baptist. <laughs> Bunch of stiff-necked Israelites who thought they didn't really need God. Stubborn kingdom about to be divided. Yeah, I'll go. I'll take the gospel. In a difficult place. See, Jesus must have first place in our lives above every other relationship. And I got to tell you, I'm very relational. It bothers me when I think about how I don't leave him as first place in my life. I want to ask you, does that statement seem too much to require? He should be first place in our lives. First priority in our schedule, in our plans, in our day. You remember Pastor James taught us God's ability to make things happen for us far surpasses our ability to ask or understand those things. <laughs> See, perhaps it's time to ask God to help us remember and embrace whatever sacrifice he's calling us to, to serve him. And I, good news, I, I'm... <laughs> I don't know you, so you may be serving him incredibly. And if so, praise the Lord. But I have to think that maybe in a group this size, there might be one or two who could be serving, who have asked even the question, why would I serve? See, when we gratefully obey God's commands in our life and sacrificially serve him, he gets glory through us. That's what it's about, bringing glory, making him known, right? Lifting up the name of Jesus. What sacrifice are you willing to make in order to obey King Jesus? The one you just sang to a minute ago, that king. 
Why would we serve? Second, how should we serve? And in typical alliterative form, I suppose, three ways we should serve. Freely, fervently, and faithfully. I'm going to walk through those. Freely. Freely indicating the power of the gospel at work in us. In other words, have you ever met somebody that got saved, you know, and they just sort of hang out up at the church? <laughs> you know, they're there. You got to give them points for there, right? They get the attendance pin. Are they doing anything? Nah. Are they contributing? Maybe. They're just there. You don't know. You, you think they're a Christian because they're always there. <laughs> but you don't really know. I don't know. But they're there. Oh, by the way, I know this may be called a worship service, but that word service on this title of this hour doesn't mean you're serving the Lord by showing up. I just thought I'd throw that. That was extra. I didn't mean to. I'm just saying our serving gives evidence of the gospel at work in us. Freely indicating the power of the gospel at work in us. Left to ourselves, our tendency is not generosity with what we've been given. But more often, it seems like we, in this day and time, almost communicate an entitlement of the gospel. I mean, of course God wants me. Look at me. Who wouldn't want me? He's lucky to have me. Well, excuse me, Mr. Me Monster, right? I mean, the, if the power of the gospel is at work in us, neither of these responses is acceptable. A response of, boy, I'm all that, or I'm nothing. I meet, I meet another group. I travel and go to a lot of Baptist churches, and I meet another group sometimes. And this group, their, their MO is typically, well, you know, I'm nobody really. I, I'm not the pastor. I'm not the music. I don't have any real talents or anything. I just kind of, I'm just happy to be saved and that God, you know. Poor pitiful you, you're one step away from death, right? I mean, is the power of the gospel at work in you? Because if it is, you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could even ask or imagine, right? God could do that through you. Take us back to that passage in Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Look at those first three words. God is able. Do you believe that? God is able to do more abundantly than all that you ask or think. When God's power is at work within us, our service can be offered freely and generously with a full confidence that he can use us for his glory. I said to the early service, if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, there's hope for me. Right? But you got to believe that he can, that he is able. And then ask him, Lord, here am I. Use me. So freely, freely we serve him, indicating or demonstrating the power of the gospel at work in us. And then fervently engaging in his disciple-making mission. Fervently. What are, that word fervor, that's not a word we use a lot these days, but fervently is defined as with great intensity of feeling or belief. The word zeal is synonymous with fervent or fervor. What are you, what are you zealous about? Paul, in his Marks of the Christian, found in Romans 12, 9 through 21, warns in verse 11, he says, don't be lazy or slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. And look at those last three words. Serve the Lord fervor, zeal, our service 
to the Lord has eternal ramifications on not only our relationship with God, but also those that we serve. Do you believe that? That you're serving the Lord has eternal ramifications? Like makes an eternal difference in people's lives? See, I'm convinced it does. I've known people that it took very little to encourage them never to come back to a church. You know, somebody sat on their chair. And once they got that Baptist up and down thing from the person whose chair they were sitting in, they made a vow. I'm not coming back. If that's what being a Christian, I don't want to know, I don't want to know that. I don't want to be a part of that, right? See, I mean, you, you, the way you teach, the way you live, the things that you communicate to those you serve, it helps them either toward eternity and toward a relationship with Christ or the other direction. See, I'm convinced your serving makes an eternal impact on others, on your relationship to God, but also on others. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You, you want to join a you want to join a fervent group of servants in the church? Join the Florida Baptist Disaster Relief Team. Now y'all don't tell them this. But they take their serving seriously. They serve the Lord with a fervent spirit. They believe their sacrifice will have an eternal impact. Shh. Let them keep thinking that. Because you know what it is. It is having an impact. I, have a fin- I think I've shared this. Man, I'll, I'll just move on. <laughs> if I interviewed your family and those who know you best, what would they say you're fervent about? What are you zealous for? It's coming up, isn't it? Woo, how many weeks till college football? Here we go. Lord, help us. Act like a bunch of fools screaming and hollering over some guys beating a pulp out of each other down there chasing around a piece of leather. But that's worth giving our life to. Woo! Excuse me. Sorry, kids. I didn't mean to scare y'all. Man just didn't get his medication, did he? Bless his heart. What are you fervent about? Are we fervent about the gospel in us? To the point we'll say, Lord, I'll sacrifice. I'll serve. However, wherever, whenever, whoever you lead, I'll follow. Serving the Lord. <laughs> How should we serve freely, fervently? Last one, faithfully. <laughs> faithfully. What do I mean by that? Increasing in our relationship with Jesus. See, our serving comes, our serving emanates out of the overflow of our relationship with Jesus. You know, I said to the earlier group, I said, I hope you don't, when you teach your group here, whatever Bible study group you're a part of, let's get out our quarterlies now and let's all read from the quarterly. Lord Jesus, help us don't do that, right? I mean, I can do that at home. Why why don't we just use this book in line with that quarterly to prepare ourselves and then just teach out of the overflow? Let me tell you what God taught me this week, right? And here we go. You're teaching out of the overflow not only of your study and your preparation, but also your life. 
Here's how Paul described that to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians 5. You remember in 2 Corinthians 5 is where he talked about if anyone's in Christ, they say they're a follower of Jesus born again. They're a new creation. Who they used to be is no more. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, right? So there goes that, well, he's always been like that excuse, right? Because <laughs> if you're in Christ, that doesn't work. But you read on in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18, he says, All this, this new creation in Christ, who through Christ is, is from God. All of this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry. Uh-oh, gave us responsibility. Yeah, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, we who live in a reconciled relationship with Jesus have now been entrusted with a message. I think I've illustrated this this way to you before, but if not, let me do it again. <laughs> Let's say the governor calls you. You know, he just calls you privately, you know, some of his person, whoever his person is, calls you your person, and the governor's on the line, hello, uh, Ron, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, hey, listen, I need somebody to check in with down there in Boggy uh, each morning, oh, 4.30, that'd be okay, I'll check in with you and see how kind of I get a feel for how things are going down there in Niceville, Fort Walton, Destin, that area, be all right? Oh, yes, sir, Mr. Governor, I'll be happy to take your call. You call me any time of the day or night. Yes, sir, glad to do it. Right? <laughs> And so the governor has now set up a personal daily appointment with you, and you're going to keep it quiet. Right? Wrong. You're going to tell everybody, you know, you never guess who called me. Yeah, Ron. You know, RD, he and I are buddies. Yeah, he wants to check in with me, you know, and just hear how things are going down here. Each morning, he wants to call me. And we get all puffed up and proud of, whoa, man, I'm somebody. And yet the King of kings and Lord of lords and creator of the world says, hey, will you make some time for me? And we go, oh, God, I got to get a shower, brush my teeth. I don't have time. See, how, how can that be true of us? We, we've been given a message of reconciliation. I got some questions about the message of reconciliation. You're, these are non-rhetorical, so that means I want you to respond to me, okay? Do you believe the message of reconciliation is still good news? It's just a yes or no, not a trick question. So the overwhelming seem like was a yes, okay? Number two, is the message of reconciliation, is it still relevant for today's culture? Because a lot of people like to say, well, no, yeah, that's mostly myth and poetry, and I, and I don't read that. Well, that's our problem. We don't read it. That's true. But it's still relevant for today's culture. Now, the third question is this. Is, is God's message of reconciliation something you, and you don't have to answer this one out loud, but I do want you to think about it. Is it something you will make sacrifices for to communicate it to others? Sacrifices. Not, you know, well, it's just not convenient. I could do it on Wednesday, but I can't really do it today. Sacrifices. See, we who claim to be followers of Jesus must freely, faithfully, and with fervor. <laughs> God help us. We know what fervor is. We just put it in the wrong places. We serve him who sacrificed his all for us. You remember when the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness to tempt him? Luke chapter 4. The Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness to tempt him. Well, the Spirit didn't tempt him. 
Who did? You know, the prince of the power of the air came, showed up. Said, look at all these kingdoms, Jesus. Woo! I'll make you ruler over all these kingdoms. He's offering him a bunch of earth. Jesus owned everything on earth and heaven and beyond, right? But he was impressed with his offer. And look what Jesus said. And this is Luke 4. In verse 8, he says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. <laughs> what priority does Jesus have? In our serving as followers of Jesus, we must align the priorities of our life so that no one or nothing challenges our worship and service of King Jesus. One last question. Why, why would we serve? How should we serve? Where? There it is. Where will we serve? Hmm. We've been talking about serving our Lord from the perspective of someone who's currently walking in a by-faith relationship with Jesus, someone who claims to be a follower of his. But I want you to understand this. Serving will not save you. You can be the hardest worker this church has. If you think that's what's getting you into heaven, into relationship with God, it's not. It's not. It is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone that you are saved. It is only by grace through faith in Christ alone that you are saved. Serving in the church does not make you a Christian. You surely can serve as you learn and process and embrace the gospel. But please don't confuse what I'm saying. I'm not saying serve him as an expression that you want to be saved. You don't have to do you, you can't serve it. You can't do enough. You can't do enough. You can't clean up enough. You can't change your behavior enough. He did everything necessary for you to be saved. All you have to do is receive that. What I contend to the rest of us who have done that, have received him, trusted Jesus, is that since we have, are we not compelled to want to serve him? So let me ask you this. Are you ready to trust Jesus today as Savior and Lord of your life? If so, I encourage you. Find a pastor, a friend, somebody here you would talk with. I'd be happy to talk with you. I'll be down here at the front. There's a, there's a membership class here that will help you begin to grow and embrace and understand what it means to follow Jesus and then to serve him. For, for you who've already embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord, though, let me, let me ask you to consider these concluding questions. Will you serve Jesus privately? Privately. You know, in your home, with your family. Hey, husband, who leads the family devotion? I mean, don't answer that out loud. But I think God's counting on us to lead that. I don't know enough Bible. My wife knows more Bible than I'll ever know in my whole lifetime. Hey, get busy reading and studying and lead. And if you need to have counsel with her at a separate time instead of in front of the whole family, say, baby, tell me what this verse right here means because I don't understand. She'll help you. Why? Because she wants you to be the spiritual leader of, her house, of the household. Men, step up. I think we'd have, anyway, I, I better not chase that rabbit. <laughs> Will you serve those in your household freely? Will you serve them faithfully? Will you serve them with fervency? <laughs> hey, kid. Gather around the dinner table. This is something more important than travel ball. Oh, snap. I just said that, didn't I? Hey, kids, gather around. 
This is more important than dad's golf time. Hmm. Folks, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm just trying to ask you, what is the priority of our lives? Shouldn't it be faithful, fervent, free service to our Lord starting at home? Uh, Privately. A second way, will you serve Jesus publicly? You know, by sacrificing for the ministry of your church family. I heard Lucas say out here just a minute ago, he put a cool-looking chart up here. They've got some place here some people could serve, right? <laughs> Maybe that was you. Oh, no, yeah, I, I did my time. You know, I serve with them little rugrats and curtain climbers. You know, I don't do all that. Let, let the younger generation, not the, you know, if you're going to have kids in this church, they ought to have to serve in there. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've heard all that junk. God forbid, senior adults, since I am one, that we would serve in the preschool or children's area because we might influence the next generation and we sure don't want them to turn out like us. Right? Sorry, I didn't mean to upset that child. Please forgive me. I got to really get control of this passion. (laughs) Sorry. But I really think it's important. I mean, would you rather the teacher, <laughs> can you see Lucas next, next week, you know, okay, little three-year-old, you're going to teach the lesson next week, okay, so come prepared. Are you kidding me? We don't, where, where are they going to find leaders for children in preschool? I'll tell you where they're hiding out. Hey, adult teachers, they're hiding out in your class. Kick them out. Say, so get out there and serve. You know you could be serving. Why aren't you serving? Well, you know, we bought an RV this year, and I was planning to travel a good bit. Priorities. Campers on mission. (laughs) Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord publicly. Some of you know I grew up in Valpe, and (laughs) one of the most influential Christian couples in my life, Ernest and Pauline Walker. And uh, (laughs) I heard they retired. I was living far away from here then. And I heard they were retired and I said, well, that's awesome. That's well-deserved, you know. I mean, shoot, man, that guy served faithfully. His wife's incredible. I just love them, you know. Just incredible people. They served, the, they deserved to retire. And you know what I heard next? And they're going to Germany as missionaries. Say, What? I thought they retired. No, no. <laughs> they're not serving that location but they're still serving Jesus. They're just going to do it in a foreign country. Say, what at 60? What? Well, I'm too old to serve anymore. Yeah, I just Excuses, excuses. Listen. At the end of the first service, this man came up to me. He said, 30 years I've been teaching Sunday school before I came to this church. He said, hearing this message today has reminded me I want to work in the youth. Hey, young people, beware. There's old people coming to influence you. (laughs) Beware. Somebody thinks he can can work even with you. (laughs) That's incredible, right? Publicly, will we serve and share the message of reconciliation, the gospel? And last, purposefully. (laughs) Will you serve God purposefully by entering the call to vocational ministry? Maybe that is for some of you young folks in here. Maybe that's for some of you middle-aged or senior folks. I don't know. But here's what I do know. 
Too many in our world today, too many churches in our convention today have stopped calling out the called. And God's still calling people to serve him. I remember it like it was yesterday, November the 1st, 1981, Oak Haven Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. The Lord finally got through this thick skull and said, Hey, Lewis, I want you to serve me vocationally. Meaning that became my life and livelihood and everything. Maybe that's you today. Will you listen for his voice? I have three application state, life application statements and we'll be done. Number one, we can live with confidence that we have gospel empowerment. The power that is at work within us. We can live with confidence that we have gospel empowerment from God to serve him. Number two. When we gratefully obey God's commands in our life and sacrificially serve him, he gets glory through us. And there's no greater experience than that. Number three, we who claim to be followers of Jesus must freely and faithfully, with fervor, serve him who sacrificed all for us. I remember Pastor James saying God's ability to make things happen for us far surpasses our ability to ask or to understand those things. I'm wondering, will you ask God, how, where would you have me serve for your glory? Will you trust him to do immeasurably more through you? Stand with me and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word that doesn't change, that challenges us to the very core of who we are. And we realize, Jesus, that you died so that we could know you and walk in relationship with you and find the joy and fulfillment of serving you. So, Father, I ask you today, I don't know who anyone's heart here but my own, but here's what I do know. You know them. And, Lord, if there's one here today who's never trusted you as Savior and Lord, that is the first step of obedience to following you, Jesus. Would you help them today to step out and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to trust him. I'm going to base my life on him and his saving work. Lord, maybe there's others here today who have already taken that step and they're trying to figure out now, Lord, I want to be like Isaiah and answer the call. Here am I, send me. But Lord, where would you use me? How could you use me? I'm just bringing my yes to you, Jesus, and saying, have your way in my life, whatever it is. And Father, there may be others who are looking for a church family to be a part of. Maybe today's the day some would come and say, I want to join this church. I want to become a part of this family of believers. Others here have been wrestling with God working in their heart, saying, I want all of you. I want all of you. I want you to serve me vocationally. Will you listen today for the Father's voice as we sing this last song? Will you hear him and then trust him in obedience? I'll be here at the front. I'd love to pray with you, share with you, encourage you in any way. Others are here would do, love to do the same. As we sing this last song, listen for the Father's voice and surrender in obedience to him. Will you serve him and allow him to do immeasurably more in and through you? That's our prayer, Jesus, in your name.